16th of September 2017. Today is very bright and the worst of the wet weather is, I hope, for a bit gone. Although it has been very useful for us as we have seeded some new grassy areas. The more grass the better, I think. We have had this last few weeks intermittent rainy days and warm sunny days. Perfect weather for germinating grass seed. Should you be interested, which I am sure you are, and given that I am always slightly irritated by being given information about something and then not hearing the outcome, so I will report that our Labrador Rafa, who had appeared to injure his back a few days ago, is now fully recovered and refusing to rest anymore, but still not having walks yet. He is, however, making up for it by herring around the garden in the brown blur. Dear old Millie, our border collie, is doing her best to keep up with him. This morning I noticed in yesterday's paper a picture of a sweet little seahorse dragging along a cotton bud which it has its tail curled around. How sad a sight that is. We will not get too much done today as the children were still unwell after lunch. I saw on the midday news there has been another suspected terrorist attack on the tube. A large explosion with people hurt. David is in London today on an Association of Palliative Care Social Work Conference. I'm pretty sure that he is safe because he rang me when he arrived at his venue, eager to tell me that there was a vegan option on the menu for today. This morning when I dropped him off at our little local station to get the train to London, his last words to me were, I shall go get myself a coffee now. In the old days it would have been a bacon sandwich. Now, he tells me, just as well he doesn't take the train to London more than a few times a year. Johnty fell asleep this afternoon in the midst of all the cuddles. This is what he needed to do. He had such a terrible night last night. Also, he would heal better in his sleep. It is wonderful how God has designed us, and remarkable too. It is as if when we sleep takes us and we are seemingly resting and peaceful, our bodies are busy healing, repairing, and in the case of children, growing. That is why it is so important for children to get at least 12 hours sleep at night. At night our brains also become busy, processing all that we have seen and learnt during the day, filing away everything in either long-term or short-term memory, helping us to draw on already stored frames of references to enable us to better understand something that has troubled or puzzled us in our waking hours. So many times I've gone to bed with a seemingly insurmountable problem or I've been troubled by the day's happenings, only to wake up happier and brighter and more positive the following morning. Sometimes the solution to the problem is completely before me and the problem is solved. I have discussed this with many people and they also have had similar experiences. I was looking at a sweet corn and thinking of how beautifully made it is. Its beautifully bejeweled kernels, the golden yellow of the sun, whose energy it has been absorbing for the last few months. There it is clustered around a natural handle, perfect for holding. It sits along the side of the path with its beige mackintoshes of waterproof sheath and its frivolous fronds and tassels that float and dance in the wind. 
seemingly of no purpose but to show off or maybe they act to see off insects that will be tempted to settle and feast on fruits. Who knows? I imagine some botanist does somewhere. Anyway, we are now harvesting our own sweet corn and they are delicious. There is nothing quite so delicious as a freshly picked cooked sweet corn. For the last two weeks, our friend Henry has been dropping off generous quantities that he has grown. They are another vegetable that is a part of all that autumn is. Marshall left for a camping weekend last evening, and the house is strangely quiet, as it always is when he goes away. This morning, even with the two little ones around, we know he's not here. They're always lost for a while, as I've said before, when Marshall is away because he makes up all the games and has the most amazing time with him, which usually involves lots of action, noise and peals of laughter. While Marsh is away, I have the relatively easy task of changing his beddy and cleaning his two rooms. Easy because Marshall truly is the tidiest teenager ever. Everything has a place and there is not a pencil that isn't stored in the right order. So my task this morning is an enjoyably easy one. My only fear is that I shall not put things back in the right order, which often is the case, when I clean his room. He's also very good at cleaning it himself, but since he packed in a hurry and left an, an unusual mess, I thought it would be nice for him to return to an ordered personal space. It is strange how, with exactly the same upbringing and example, one's children can all be so different in the tidiness department. Half of mine are immaculately tidy, and the other half prefer it would seem to keep their space in a chaotic shambles. I am naming no names here, as I hope that it will eventually change, and therefore will not be set in cyberspace for posterity. After lunch, I left David to finish his base for the shed, as he can only do anything at the weekends, and the evenings are getting shorter and shorter. It is taking him much longer than he had hoped, it would, as the time is getting close to the date that is booked for the shed to come and be fitted. We have also to prepare for the arrival of the new rescued chickens on the 24th of this month. We'll have to scrub out the coops and make sure that the compound is free of anything that would distress them or that they will find alien. These chickens will not be used to such freedom and from our previous experience they usually spend several days standing in a corner in silence. We had one flock that we collected on a rainy day and three quarters of the compound, which is now six foot eight to seven foot high, is covered with a heavy duty clear plastic. The new flock, which was about 28 hens strong, was standing in the covered area when the skies opened and it poured with rain and as one bird-like chicken likened, they all raked their heads towards the sky. Sadly, we didn't have a camera down there with us on that day. But it was quite funny and sweet. They clearly were quite puzzled. This new flock that we are having should not be quite so unchicken-like as they have been so-called free-range. This generally means that they have been allowed out of a largely overcrowded barn onto a grassy patch. Which is so much better than the poor battery hens who suffer beyond belief Cooped up in a space no bigger than a shoebox, with one purpose, which is to continuously eat and lay eggs until they are exhausted, and then they are unceremoniously thrown out to be slaughtered for pet food. 
unless they are rescued by ordinary people like you and me. We have rescued many battery hens, and they come almost devoid of any feathers at all. Their combs and wattles are almost white, instead of a bright, vibrant red. They hardly know how to walk properly. Some of them never learn how to walk properly. They sometimes come with deformities because of the cramped conditions that they are forced to live in. However, the good and encouraging news is that in almost all cases, with love and care and proper animal husbandry and nurturing, these hens can be transformed into the creature that God intended them to be. They grow more feathers, their combs gradually turn bright red, and they begin to learn how to behave like a chicken should. They love piles of wood so they can work out their hierarchy. Their instinct soon clicks in. They often all they have suffered will reward you with what we call our ethical eggs. Sometimes we have hens who, because of the suffering they have been through, never lay again. That's fine for us and for them. We become a rest home where they can just receive affection, care and love. We have two of them in the hen house now and we hope that they will help teach the newcomers how to be chickens again. One should add that to begin with, when the new hens arrive, there'll be a flurry of activity while they sort out their new pecking order, but they only last a few hours and it is unusual for the newcomers to take over the roost. The established flock usually remain in charge because of the lack of self-esteem that the new hens have. We shall soon, very see soon. My Saturday afternoon visit to the allotment was very fruitful. After picking the last of the runner beans, I took down the sticks and stored them for next year and picked kale, butternut squash, sweet corn and a panet of raspberries for pudding tomorrow. There's so much now ready, Swiss chard, beetroot, which I've been picking for two weeks now, and the flowers of the Jerusalem artichoke are now dying off, which means they will soon be ready for harvesting. The spinach is ready, so we will be busy, busy, busy now storing for the winter. It won't be long once we have harvested and either eaten or preserved everything before it is time to put the allotment to bed for the winter. We will, though, be pulling leeks and cutting celery and picking kale through the winter, and our Brussels sprouts are developing well for Christmas. They're always better after the frost has been on them. I love walking down at the allotment. There is always a friendly allotment holder to chat to, and tips to pass on between each other, vegetables to give away or receive when there is a glut. The trouble is, everyone's glut comes at the same time. It is especially nice to give away surplus to family and friends who may not have a garden of their own and they're always glad to have organically home-grown fresh vegetables. I particularly enjoy making up little boxes of a selection of vegetables and of course there is always the church porch on a Sunday morning. Very tired this evening, but after we had said prayers for the children and tucked them up in bed, David and I sat down together, very pleased and satisfied with the day's work. Children have recovered from their cold, but poor Cynthia spent most of the day in bed with a migraine headache. She was feeling a lot better by this evening. It is amazing what rest can do for any malady. When I was a child, as soon as one became sick, it was off to bed, and there you stayed until you were better, which is not 
for more than a couple of days. Usually that was because you rested. The body, when at rest, gives the immune system plenty of opportunity to heal. It isn't compromised by any other stress factors. That is what I've concluded. Today most people carry on going about their day infecting other people, generally feeling worse for the wear, and their illness goes on for much longer. In my opinion, staying in bed can also be great fun. I was raised in an old Victorian house. Each bedroom had its own working fireplace. In fact, in each room in the house had this facility. And when I was confined to bed with a cold or an infectious disease, my grandfather would bring a large shovel full of hot coals from downstairs and put in the tiny grate in my bedroom. He would then add more coals into the hearth glowed and my bedroom became warm and cosy quickly. It all sounds pretty dangerous now and health and safety certainly wouldn't approve, just as they wouldn't about many things that were done in those times. And certainly the environmental lobby would not agree using fossil fuels, as I certainly agree if we knew in Brunel's day what we know now we certainly wouldn't have had the Industrial Revolution in the way it happened fueled completely with coal. Another memory of being sick in bed is a very special little wooden box that only ever came out for me to play with when I was sick. This was a wonderful little box, a real Pandora's box full of wonderful memorabilia. There were beads of all colours to thread, small pieces of cross-stitch embroidery to work, little wooden puzzles which took hours of patience to solve. There were postcards written long ago by various members of the family from faraway places, some from India, some from France during the wartime. When I was old enough to read many of these, brought tears to my eyes. They were all tied together with a thin blue ribbon. There were two peg dollies which one could make up imaginary stories about and a very small wooden bagatelle game. There were crayons, Not the wonderful felt-tip pens that children have now, but a collection of wax crayons and paper to colour on. There was a small pair of scissors with which the small rolls of coloured paper I could cut out lines of dancing figures and make up and create stories and never become bored. Oh, and I've just remembered the little storybooks about a little mouse family. I cannot remember the titles, but the books were about three inches high and about six inches long, reminiscent of the National Saving Stamp books we had at school or Greenshell's Stamp Savers books. There was also a little chest of drawers beautifully made, but only big enough for a doll's house. I remember playing quietly, happily and peacefully with all of this for hours while confined to bed but never was allowed to play with it when I was up and well. This evening, I disgraced myself. Given that David and I were so tired this evening, we decided to bring in an Indian meal as a treat. Everything looked fine until I read the labels properly. After we had eaten it to find that there was milk, cream and butter in one of the dishes, David was so disappointed that he had spoiled his unblemished vegan record. I felt sorry too. This would not have happened if we had stuck to our own home-cooked food. Be careful what you eat and where it comes from would be the new maxim. I felt that I should go sit on the naughty step. Hey-ho, nobody's perfect. <laughs>